as we're very much into uh, the, this question of uh, who, who needs what and who gets what, um, but we're deep in the series called Does God Need My Money? And uh, it's uh, about our stories around generosity and what, how, how we're generous and, and what that says about God and, and what that says about us. And uh, those guys were very clearly in it for the pride aspect of it, right? Like you've known people like that who are generous to you because it says something about them, because that's what I do for my fellow man, <laughs> right? You've had people like that in your life where like the things that they do for you are very clearly for themselves, right? You've, you've met those people who like make sure that your car is washed because it says more about them than it does about it says more about them than it does about you, or whatever the case may be, right? I think uh, there, are, there are parents who do those sorts of things. That's a classic example where there's people in a workplace where, like, these are the things that we're going to give to you, but it's, but it's more about them. But then there's the other side of it, too, right, where generosity is sometimes not motivated by fear, right? You're scared of losing something. You're scared of giving something away and not having it anymore. Clearly those guys in their imaginary world where they were giving away imaginary things didn't care about that, but uh, they, were, they were scared of losing like the battle, right? The battle of whoever was the best in that, situ in that completely fake situation, except for the, the coffee there. Um, but we've been talking about generosity. In the first week of this series, we had a couple of folks come up here and talk about their stories around generosity. Uh, and Colleen and Jerry, and I'm going to blank on the third name because that's just the kind of day it is. Deep, who, Sonatina, thank you. Sonatina is not here, but she's maybe watching online, so sorry, Sonatina. <laughs> Terrible. But they had, a, they had their own great stories about how, where they started out with generosity in their lives, and then what changed for them as they experienced God's generosity, and some moments um, that I very much encourage you to watch. And then last week, we talked a little bit about how uh, God's kingdom and what Jesus talked about uh, when he came was about God's party and the idea that uh, as, when you are invited into God's kingdom, um, you get to experience God's generosity. You get to see uh, the gifts that he has for us. And uh, we talked about how if you live with closed hands, you're not able to accept any of those gifts. If you're off in the corner of the party, like with your pile of appetizers that you've taken off the buffet and you're just sitting there like hoarding those and maybe occasionally going back to the table to get more and not wanting to talk to anybody. And if somebody comes to talk to you, you just talk about yourself and all your problems, you're not going to have a good time, right? It's just, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience for you or for other people that you are around. And so he wants to change that all for us. He wants us to experience that party and to live a life where we've been invited into his kingdom and we get to experience inviting others in and sharing the good, good things that he has to give us. But regardless of where you land on uh, whether God is generous, does he exist, what, uh, what level of generosity is, uh, that we talked about the example of there are people in your life where they're generous, you know they're generous, but you have, you're like, but you could also do just a little bit more, right? Like, it could be just a little bit better. Like, God, you've, you've done this, but maybe it could be just a little bit better. And that's something that we all have to wrestle with, right? And we'll talk about that a little bit later today as well. But this week, I want to talk about the feeling of not having enough and our response to that and what we can do uh, when we're greeted with, um, with the opportunity to serve others, but we don't feel like we have enough, perhaps. So uh, this is an actual photo. 
of my children asking for more food. No, <laughs> that's not really. It's what it feels like some mornings. They're like, can I have another bar? Can I have 17 of those darn little frozen pancakes? Can I have more yogurt? Can I have more bacon? Like the whole thing, right? Uh, this, is, this is not the actual photo. The next actual photo is them happily snacking away at the, at the bottom of the slide with the splash pad. But if you've been a kid or if you have experienced kids at this stage in their life, you can remember the endless bucket of need slash possible generosity these tiny human beings are. And all of us are, honestly, right? Like you have no end to the things that you need or want. But it's especially apparent when, okay, you have even just one of them. One of them wakes up in the morning and they're having a pretty good day. They're enjoying time at home with mom. That's an example from, from our life. And uh, I'm at work and we had talked about the Lego magazine, which ties into last night's Lego movie very well. And so I was like, I should order the Lego magazine. So you get online, order the Lego magazine, and they send you this packet of coloring pages, which the eldest loves to death. He loves to color. Be like, can you come print me a coloring page when he's trying to not nap, right? How long can we stall this out? Can I have a seventh coloring page? I'm like, here's a packet. You can just have a whole darn packet. And so I send these to mom, and I'm like, you can print these. And I get an email that afternoon. She's like, it doesn't print from my phone. He's on his third meltdown about it. Can you please bring some home? So I'm like, okay. So I go to the printer, print off a packet of these coloring pages, come home, plop them down on the table, proud of myself that I have finally given a gift to be enjoyed, like I was generous. And he says, but where's the second one? For my younger brother. And then, then I'm like, well, we can, we can print off some from the home. It's not color, though, at home. It's, it's black and white because we're not fancy like that. He's like, but then we have to share, we have to divide, and then... And then it's like half an hour of his life is wrecked because we didn't have two color copies of the Lego coloring pages. So after an experience like that, regardless of the, the happy moment right here, but those hungry mouths, right? They're, they're, they're ready for whatever it is, the experiences, your love, your time. Uh, it can leave you feeling a little empty-handed, right? Like you've given so much and it's just like continues to pour out and you don't have enough to give. And I think all of us experience this in some way, shape or form, right? Whether it's kids or not, whether we can remember that experience, there are people in our lives or even for ourselves, like we can't give ourselves enough of what we want. You've been in that situation, right? Where you're sitting on the couch or wherever you sit or wherever you stand and you're like at ends of like, how can I give something to myself that I will even enjoy. You, like, this is the, the feeling of boredom where like, there's nothing that's good. And even those guys in that video, right, they, if they got to the end of that whole sequence, let's say that that whole sequence was actually real of that workplace altruism, they'd given the company jet back and forth and the lesser Antilles and the greater Antilles, would they feel fulfilled at the end of that sequence of generosity? Probably not, right? Because they were in it to win, not for any other reason. But thankfully, there's another example, and we're going to walk through a story that Jesus lived. Uh, this isn't one of the parables. We did a parable last week. This is a lived experience of some folks that were around Jesus um, and somebody whose life in particular was changed. You've probably heard this story if you've been around kids church in the past. It is like it's a classic of the children's literature, but there's a lot there. So let's, let's dive in. So first verse, Jesus enters Jericho because he was wandering around the countryside teaching going from place to place, being fed um, by folks and, and taken in off the road um, and generally supporting just like experience a lot of generosity himself. And he was passing through on his way to somewhere else. 
And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. And you, there's probably a song. I know there's a song. If Pastor Taylor was here, he could sing it. I don't have that one locked away in my head. Um, please don't sing it because I don't necessarily want that. You can sing it to yourself. Hum it quietly to yourself. But he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now, I don't know. Let's, let's stay on that one for a second. I don't know about you guys, um, but if I hear the words chief tax collector and wealthy, I don't know. I, I don't feel great about that, right? It's like you don't want your tax collectors. Maybe if they have a side hustle or something like that, but even then it's like, I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, and to give you a little bit more of the context of what this was like back in that day, uh, these were folks who had been installed by the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had come in and conquered like most of the known world, and they'd come in and they'd install their own system of government on top of whatever system of government was there. And the important thing, and the thing that we still have today in those Roman ruins in Rome, the reason they had the wealth to build buildings that are still standing there today and are just like beautiful, gorgeous things and all these monuments and uh, statues and golden wealth is because they had tax collectors all over the known world whose job it was is to take the wealth and send it to Rome, essentially. And so these guys were hired from the local populace because they knew what was up, they knew how to work the systems, and uh, had a system of telling other people, like, you go out and collect the taxes for the goat's milk, and you go out and collect the taxes on the sheep's wool, whatever, whatever. Um, but it's clear that because he was wealthy, he was doing that, and it says later in the story, he was doing that and some extra, right? Because that's the way you would make a little extra as a tax collector is you make up some extra tax of the tax of walking across the street. Okay, that's like a tiny piece of this. And slowly, everybody gets a cut of it, right? All the tax collectors, but the chief tax collector gets the highest cut before he sends it on to Rome. All that to say, nobody probably liked this guy. He was not friends with anybody. But he wanted to see who Jesus was. And that's where it goes in next in the story. Uh, and because Zacchaeus was short, which you probably have in the song, if you know the song, again, don't, don't hum it for the rest of us who don't want it. Um, he could not see over the crowd. Does anyone here have that problem? There you go. Yep. People know what's up. If you're, if you're short, you can't see over the crowd. And so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And he was curious for some reason. Like, we don't know why, but... Jesus had been around the countryside, and he'd been doing miracles. Maybe Zacchaeus thought Jesus could make him tall or something like that. But he was curious as to what this guy was saying and what was going to happen as he came to Jericho. And so Jesus reached the spot, and he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And this was a super big deal back then, if a teacher or somebody of renown, even today, right, if somebody comes through town, like a political candidate, even if you disagreed with their views, perhaps, if they said, hey, can I stay at your, can I have dinner at your house, or um, the mayor comes to you and says, hey, could I have dinner at your house? You're like, oh, that's an honor. Like, clearly, this person wants to spend time with me for some reason, in some way, shape, or form, and so you're excited. And this was a, a real honor because Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi, like a religious leader. And so clearly it said something about Zacchaeus that he was being had over. Don't go to the next slide yet if you would. So obviously the next slide says, and everyone was so happy for Zacchaeus, they thought he must be totally fine. We should reassess our opinion of him. He's a tax collector, but he must be okay because Jesus sees something in him. This is not the case. The next verse says, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
and not just a sinner, right? Like a big sinner, a sellout, a traitor, somebody who was part of the enemy system, who had sold out his own people and was collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. And they did not like that. And I'm sure we all have people we put into that category in our lives too, where you're like, there's sinners over here, but then there's extra sinners over here. Like these people have done these things, but these people have done these extra things and they're just no good. But somewhere within the story, and here, here's a part where you can fill in whatever context you want to or whatever part of the story, somewhere between the end of this verse and the beginning of the next verse, Zacchaeus has some sort of experience, whether that's just the, the act of Jesus inviting himself over for dinner, essentially, uh, or something that Jesus said, or the teachings that Jesus had, uh, had been floating around the countryside, and he was like, no, this guy actually means what he says. But the next verse is a transformation. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. Now, if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. That's a pretty bold statement. So he must have either felt really confident that he didn't cheat anybody out of anything, or he was just really comfortable with the fact that he was not going to be wealthy anymore. But that is a major, major, major change for somebody who had seemingly been motivated by wealth up until this point. And so Jesus responds to this act of generosity, this heart change. And it's less about the money, right? It's about why, why he was doing this. And so Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. He's been saved. He's been transformed. He's a totally different person, the kind of person that is a saved person because this man too is a son of Abraham, which means that he was part of God's people. He was somebody who was chosen to carry on God's kingdom in the world, to show the world what God was like, who God was. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And this is like, there's a lot of meaning packed into this text because Jesus is saying he's here to seek and save the lost. And that is a theme that runs throughout the biblical story, especially the stories that Jesus told and what he did too. Like he was here to seek and save everybody, not just the the nice people, not just the people who needed saved, but the people who were actively choosing to be part of an oppressive system, the people who were messing up repeatedly time and time again, who were choosing to do the wrong thing. They need saved just as much as, as anybody else. And I think we all forget about that sometimes. I know I forget about that. Like you look at somebody who's doing the wrong thing and like clearly by choice, time and time again, you're like, well, that person has clearly shut themselves off from the opportunity to be saved, to be different, to be... Um, to have Jesus work in their life. But Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came for this guy, and Zacchaeus had the opportunity to respond to that. And out of all of this, like going back to God, the idea of God's party, it's not just that God has put the door open for us and said, come on in. If you're, if you're good enough, if you have checked all the boxes, if you've chosen to do these things, uh, you can come into the party and experience the joy of the kingdom. Jesus came to bring the party to us, to you, to me. He came to show us that generosity. He came first. 
And you remember there's a, there's a, um, a story at the beginning of, of the Bible, and maybe this is like a, a joke that I'm making up, or maybe it was meant to, to be a, a theme throughout. The first miracle that Jesus did was that he went to a wedding, and his mom was like, they've ran out of wine. And he said, woman, it's not time for me to do a miracle. She's like, just, just help out with this one. And so he turned the water into wine, right? That's the first recorded miracle in the sequence of events. So his first miracle was to keep a party going. So I feel like this is a totally apt sort of thing. But Jesus wants to bring the party to us, right? Jokes aside, he wants us to experience living the kind of generosity he does and to feel like we are part of his kingdom. He wants us to be the kind of people that invite others to. So I think that leads us to the conclusion that living with those open hands is how we open the door to Jesus. He wants to come in. He's ready to come in and is here for us. He died on the cross for us. He said, you are worth this much to me that I'm willing to come and die and to open up heaven's heaven's doors for you. But you have to accept the invitation. You have to change. You have to be willing to live with that sort of generosity and kindness. Um, So looking at that piece of paper that you have on your chair, if you're online, um, you can see it here. This is a card that's meant... uh, not to be worked through end-to-end necessarily, totally exhaustively, but it's about you exploring where you're at in your faith journey, with generosity specifically. But this is just one concept. It gives you a way of exploring who God is. And if you, if you work through it from left to right, if you, if you read these, you can say, like, God generously responds to our generosity. You can read that passage, and then I encourage you to wrestle with that, whether it's like, and, and don't make it a throwaway sort of thing either of like, oh, I guess God's like that. Like, do you actually experience that God gives us his first and best? And if you don't feel that way, that is absolutely something to wrestle with. That's something to explore with somebody in prayer, uh, in conversation, and we're here for you. There's a team of folks who's happy to meet. We're going to have regular meeting times. Um, Things like God gives far beyond what's expected. Maybe your lived experience doesn't, doesn't line up with that. Maybe that's something that you haven't seen before or yet, or maybe you can see it in other people's lives, but not necessarily your own. So I really encourage you to take some time with this. Um, And if you get into a group this fall, um, this would be a great thing to work through with that group if that's something that you guys want to do. But then in response to who God is, I also encourage you to look through these questions. Like, to whom do you give first? Who's the first person, thing, time? Like, what do you look at when you wake up first in the morning? I'm going to pick an easy one to, to make fun of all of us. What do you look at first in the morning? Probably your phone, right? But like, what is that phone a portal to? Like, what, what app do you look at first on your phone? Or are you afraid of not enough? Or are you trying to hoard more than enough? When you give, is it what's asked or expected, or do you go beyond? Or can your generosity be defined as intentional and consistent? And the other side of that is like a non, non-consistent and unintentional, <laughs> or just like throwaway sorts of things when somebody confronts you with it at the, at the grocery store checkout. Not saying that those are bad things, but like if that's the thing that you do consistently, that might be a question of asking, am I consistent or am I consistent at the grocery store checkout? So these are just all things to explore and to work through. It's a pathway. And I hope that you can see that if you're living on this side, like your hands are a lot more open than they would be 
if they're closed. You're going to experience more of God's abundance. You're going to experience a happier life where you feel more free to give to others and have that authentic care and kindness. And so I encourage all of us, myself included, to take a look at what you're doing in your life from from a generosity perspective, whether that's at home, with your friends, at work, here at church, whatever you are, um, whatever you're doing for others, make a commitment in some way, shape, or form. Take that, take that card on your, on your chairs, flip it over as you're, as you're driving home, think about it right now, do it sometime today in the near future so that you don't forget, um, and make a commitment. And I want to quote uh, G- uh, Jesus' brother, Jesus' half-brother, um, James, who wrote a letter to Christians back in the, in the first century. And he said, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And I think that's the reality of living as part of God's kingdom. If you've accepted that Jesus is king and you want to follow him, um, it begs some sort of commitment to other people in whatever form that takes. And I'm not calling all of us to go and sell half our possessions or to go find the people that you've cheated in your life and give back four times that much. I don't think Facebook Marketplace could bear all of us selling half of our possessions all at once. Um, We'd we'd flood the market. Um, But it is an encouragement to take a look, a hard look, a good look at your life and see how you're responding to God's generosity. And this next slide is a non-exhaustive list of some possibilities. You could make a first gift here to a charity of your choice. Increase your regular giving here or elsewhere. Take on a new volunteer role here or somewhere else. Open up your house to host a gathering for folks. Like the time when your aunt calls you and is like, can you host Thanksgiving? You're like, yes, I can. And do it without the, the, the grudging side, right? I, yeah, sometimes. Um, spend time with that person that you don't often do. That coworker who's like, can we go out for... Uh, appetizers or something or a drink, just go hang out with them and spend some time with them, get to know them a little bit better because they're looking for somebody. Like they want to be invited in and be seen as somebody. Buy your neighbor some flowers, pay for someone's groceries, read that extra book with your kids or print off that second silly Lego set of coloring pages. I didn't know that about that one beforehand, but maybe I could have thought about it. I need to think about two sets. Eventually I need to think about four sets, but I don't want to think about that day yet. Um... So this is, again, not an exhaustive list. There are, there are unique opportunities for each of us to be generous, to be kind, to speak into somebody's life and show what God's kingdom is life, God's kingdom is like. And this next quote is by a guy called Henry Nouwen. He's Dutch, so I like him double, but uh, no, he was uh, a preacher and ended his life, did, like, wrote best-selling author, uh, grew up in Amsterdam, uh, was pastor of a bunch of big congregations, but ended his life uh, in a adult daycare or like an adult living facility for folks with mental disabilities. And like you can see through the trajectory of his books, his life changed by all these experiences of, of being generous. And this is one of my favorite quotes of his uh, about God's kingdom and about what it's like if you're living uh, with Jesus as your king and you're choosing to be part of that. It's a place of abundance where every generous act, the things that we do overflow its original bounds and become part of the unbounded grace of God at work in the world. God's at work, and we can choose to be part of it and to invite people in by what we do and to show other people what he's like 
And that is a great, great privilege and a joy and an honor and something that we all can do. And that's why we say every week here, every week here at Infuse, in that, in that section where we talk about right before the, the slide comes on with the QR codes of giving and serving, that's why we say that we've seen giving and serving change lives here at Infuse, because we have. And if, if you want examples of that, just go back to that first week, listen to it. There's the, um, like the podcast version on the app, or you can go uh, to the website and watch it sometime if you weren't here. But the stories that Sonatina and Colleen and Jerry had about how their lives have been changed by little moments of other people's generosity or the moment where they decided to be generous, not because it was something that like out of pride that they had to give, but out of like, oh no, I've experienced that kind of generosity from God. How can I not do that for other people? Or this is the way that it's meant to be. It is truly life-changing. So I hope um, that you guys take a chance to do that. And at the end of the day, I hope all of you have answered this question for yourself. I can't answer it for you necessarily. Does God want our money? He made everything. Like, if you believe that, he made everything. Like, he's, he's got the printing press. He can make whatever he needs, right? He doesn't need our money. He wants our hearts. He wants us to live within his kingdom where his grace is overflowing into our lives so that we're transformed and into other people's lives. So I'm going to pray before the band closes us uh, in, uh, with music. Um, but thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Um, let's pray. God, you have given us so much. And even though there are things in this world that are working against you that are, that are not for us, you're always for us. You're always here looking for those and giving us those good gifts. Um, like it says in one place in the Bible, the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. And that's a comfort for all of us. And Lord, you, you want our hearts to be transformed so that we can do the same thing, to show people what you're like on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, moment by moment, um, that we can experience that goodness. So Lord, help us to wrestle with those questions wherever we're at, uh, with what we believe about you, with what we believe about the way the world is, the way the universe is set up. Is it fair? Is it not? Are there good things? What's... These, are, these are big, big questions, and we can't answer those in 30 minutes on a Sunday, but you can answer those over a lifetime of experiences with people who are generous and kind and who are following you. So Lord, help us to seek those answers, to share those answers with others, with the things that we do, the say, the things that we say, and the attitudes of our hearts. May they be more generous to others as we go through this day, this week, and our whole lives. In your name we pray.